The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. This is the last episode of the Bruce Exclusive that will occur in the year 2021 that will not be focused on a game that the Buffalo Bills have recently played. Unless I come up with something crazy for the bye week, you never know. But... Given the fact that this is our last official off-season podcast, there are two things I want to do today. And you probably guess what they were by looking at the title of this episode. Catching up and buckling up. I want to get caught up on all the listener emails that I have received up to this point because I try to make sure I stay on top of them. And I want to prepare you for what you can expect from this podcast during the regular season. Let's start by catching up. I have gotten an email from Evan who says, here is my really sad almighty take from a listener who spent the 2019 offseason comparing McDermott to Marvin Lewis. If the COVID exposures slash cases slash fines and or suspensions happen, you might see me line up at slot receiver by midseason. At least I'm pretty sure I've been punched harder than Josh Allen can throw a ball at me, I think. Alternatively, I could provide cornerback depth, given that I wrestled and have no hesitation to tackle. Drawback is I'm 33 and have never played football above a junior varsity level. I know it is easy to get distracted by the potential impact that COVID could have on the Buffalo Bills 2021 season. But one of the things I think is important to remember is that This is not a uniquely Buffalo Bills issue. Now, the Buffalo Bills did have a particularly vocal member of their team about COVID restrictions 
in regards to the NFLPA and some of the guidelines that they had agreed upon with the NFL, some of the mandates and protocols. But every team has people like that. It's not a unique Buffalo Bills issue. So I know we have a tendency to worry a lot because our eyes are focused on Cole Beasley. But other teams have their own particular players who have issue with the protocols or vaccination or whatever it is. So there is a certain amount of variance and randomness that comes along with some of this stuff. And so while I recognize that what Evan is describing could very well come to pass, absolutely could come to pass. I think there's just as likely of a chance that it comes to pass on other teams as well that the Buffalo Bills are facing. We have a tendency to think about a competitive disadvantage, but we don't think much about a competitive advantage. Look at what's going on with the Cowboys right now. They're getting ready for a season opener against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that will drop tonight live on television for national audiences to see against the Super Bowl champs. And they don't have one of their best players in Zach Martin on their offensive line because of COVID. So it's a part of the NFL experience this year. And I recognize we only really think about it potentially hurting us as Bills fans, but there's a very reasonable possibility that it strikes in our favor too. There's simply a level of randomness associated with this. Jack says, hi, Bruce. My take is this. Despite his elite measurables at the combine, I no longer believe that Dawson Knox is our best option at tight end, or that he ever will be. I do not see the combine traits translate on the field. Rather, I see a guy who is a bit lumbering and seldom gets good separation. Of the three touchdown plays I can recall from last year involving Knox, one was a little screen and two great blocks from Bill's receivers, allowing him to leap into the end zone. Another, he flagrantly pushed off a defender and did not get called for a touchdown. Another, he dropped a wide open pass that Granny Clampett could have caught. Conversely, I see Jacob Hollister as a smoother athlete on the field with quicker breaks to get separation, and it should go without saying, has more reliable hands. I think Hollister should get more playing time than Knox on this team. What do you think? Now, obviously, Jack sent me this email last week before Hollister got cut. So that's very important. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on that particular section of this. However, I do think it should be noted that NFL Next Gen Stats comes up with a separation metric and it's average separation by yards. Debo Samuel was number one in the NFL with 4.6. Robert Tunyon, number two, 4.2. Demarcus Robinson, 4.2. David Moore, 4.1. Dawson Knox, four. Now, it should be very, very importantly noted that this is frequently a function of scheme. So it's very important that we note that. But Dawson Knox is separated. So it should not be debated that he is separated at the point of target. The question is, why is he separated at point of target? So if you want to have a separate discussion on his ability to shake free of man coverage, I would make a counter argument. There's not a lot of tight ends in the world that can shake free of really good man coverage because they're larger athletes. Not everyone's going to be a Travis Kelsey. Not everyone's going to be a Darren Waller. I don't think that's really a hyper expectation. One of the things that I've been harping on this particular offseason when it comes to tight ends is that they're nice if you have them and you should keep looking for one, but offenses aren't reliant on them because they can't be. 
You can't be relying on a tight end because they only make like six elite ones in the planet. You don't get to have one. I'm so sorry. It's like saying the only way to get from point A to point B is by driving a Ferrari. Well, there's not a lot of Ferraris. So the rest of us have to figure out another way to get from point A to point B. Spoiler alert, I do not drive a Ferrari. I'm just giving you all sorts of information about myself now, aren't I? I am not a Dawson Knox stan by any means. But I understand that when you draft someone who is raw and toolsy, you have to give them a longer leash. I was that way with Josh Allen. Year three, he broke out. But here's the thing. Dawson Knox was more raw as a prospect coming out of college than Josh Allen. At least Josh Allen was actually playing the position he was supposed to be playing. Dawson Knox was a converted quarterback who barely got any targets. We all say Josh Allen was a lump of clay, man. He was raw coming out. And we use that as defense as to why his rookie year was subpar and his second year was meh. But none of those same excuses, those same factors, those same reasons, whatever it is you want to call them, none of them are applied to Dawson Knox. I'm not saying he's going to break out this year. In fact, if you made me make a bet, I would bet he wouldn't break out. Because quite frankly, it's always easier to bet no in those scenarios. It's like taking Tiger Woods to the field. Always take the field. Always take the field. Break out or not break out. Always take no break out. There's always a bigger chance that they're not going to break out. So I'm not saying he's going to do it. I'm saying three years seems about right for Dawson Knox to give him a shot. We gave Josh Allen three years. And Dawson Knox was more raw than Josh Allen. Again, not standing for Dawson Knox. Just saying statistically significant data changes for somebody. The tail of development changes for somebody based on where they started. So for me, it's my stance on Dawson Knox. Daniel emailed me, said, Bruce, I've been hesitant on assuming we have a legit pass rusher on the roster. Ed Oliver and A.J. Epinesa may end up being competent, but not game changers that we wish for. Rousseau seems different. If somehow the Bills end up with a game wrecker on both sides of the ball, then it may become Thanos territory. Inevitable. So let's get ahead of it. What should be the phrase we shout out when Greg does his thing? I haven't done the research, but let's just assume he's Haitian because of the French last name. That puts Haitian sensation on the list. Any Wyclef Jean song titles. No woman, no cry. Or someone please call 911. That's when it hit me. Sacre cue. Print the posters. Call the trademark people. It's a wrap. I'm still hoping for I am Groot, guys. I'm sorry. I can hear the stadium. I am Groot. I am Groot. Because everyone does the whole Duke or booze or Groot. It all sounds the same. You can't tell if you're booing or anything, but if you separate it into three syllables, it totally works. So he has one. I am Groot. I am Groot. We just chant it. It works. Get the scoreboard involved. I'm going with I am Groot. I'm sorry. I know. Now, part of it's because I'm an MCU guy, right? I love Groot. Groot's fantastic. I haven't gotten a new dog since Guardians of the Galaxy came out. But if I did and they had a Groot-ish personality, I would have named it Groot. In fact, two of my dogs are 
very spitting images for Rocket and Groot if we would have thought of it at that time. But I was familiar with the Guardians of the Galaxy, but my wife was not back when we got these dogs. And obviously, I'm not going to rename the dogs because it's just confusion and seems mean. So I'm not going to do that. Christopher says, hi, Bruce. I've been meaning to send you an email for a good chunk of the offseason, and I'm going to try and sneak this one in just under the wire. Feel free to disregard any of these that don't make sense or you think wouldn't make for good content. Firstly, I've got a scenario that I'd like to run through your worry algorithm. I was mainly thinking about this while Deion Dawkins was out with COVID, but it's still worth considering in case of injury. If Dawkins or Daryl Williams goes down with an injury for more than a game or two, what should I be more worried about? Number one, Spencer Brown or Tommy Doyle playing meaningful snaps, potentially weakening the line. Or two, Cody Ford being moved to tackle, further disrupting his development. Okay, so if you are not familiar with the worry algorithm, it is one of the many little Bruce formulas and Bruceisms or whatever you want to call them that says, okay, worry can be calculated. How much you should worry about something is the probability of that thing happening multiplied by the outcome of that thing happening. So let's start with number one, Spencer Brown or Tommy Doyle playing meaningful snaps. So in the scenario, Deion Dawkins or Daryl Williams has gone down. What is the probability that if they go down, Spencer Brown or Tommy Doyle play meaningful snaps? I think that's highly probable. Highly probable. I think Spencer Brown is the first man off the bench. I think they would put Spencer Brown in before they would move Cody Ford. Based on their comments about Spencer Brown, based on them talking about swing tackle, I think Spencer Brown is the first man up. I very much hope we don't see Spencer Brown so he can continue to develop. But if we do... I would anticipate it would be because one of the tackles went down and they did not move Cody Ford. So probability of it happening, high. Impact of it happening, reasonable. Spencer Brown looked markedly more prepared than Tommy Doyle to play tackle at an NFL level in the preseason. It's amazing. Third round pick, mountainous, toolsy, athlete. Fifth round pick, mountainous, toolsy, athlete. Couldn't be farther apart in their readiness right now to play in the NFL. So it really is Deion Dawkins, Daryl Williams, Spencer Brown, Big Gap, Tommy Doyle. So I think it's highly probable that if one of them went down, Spencer Brown would be the first one up. And I think it would be reasonably disruptive if he did. Because as ready as Spencer Brown is, he's still not Daryl Williams. He's still not Deion Dawkins. So that's how worried I would be of that. The second thing is Cody Ford being moved to tackle. I think that is somewhat improbable. I can see them doing it. If they did it, I'd be a little surprised, but not completely shocked because they've mentioned on multiple times this offseason about Cody Ford's versatility. And that's not somebody who you would talk about in that way if you didn't at least have in the back of your mind that you might move him if something happened. Well, we really like his versatility. That's not something you say about Deion Dawkins. That's not something you say about Mitch Morse. If they're steady and in one spot all the time, and then you know they're going to be a starter in that spot, you don't say that about them. So it's somewhat probable. Yeah, they could do it. I think they'd more likely put in Spencer Brown. But I do think that the impact would be more significant. I'd much rather have Spencer Brown at right tackle 
in the event that Daryl Williams got injured rather than Cody Ford. And I think, this is my opinion, I think the staff would rather have that too. Christopher goes on, says, Secondly, I've got an almighty take for you. I'm a big fan of trick plays, and I love it when Dable dials up something unexpected. So my almighty take is that we see at least one play this season with both Allen and Trubisky on the field at the same time. We know that Allen's a great runner, can be a receiving threat, and can also throw across his body on the run. Most of the defenders would probably focus on Allen, making things easier for Trubisky if he does get the ball. I'm imagining them running bootlegs in opposite directions and making the defense try to figure out who to follow. Is there any chance this happening, or is it too risky to have both quarterbacks on the field at the same time? It's fairly uncommon to see that. And what we have seen from Brian Dable is he's completely okay having non-quarterbacks throw the ball. Isaiah McKenzie, John Brown. He's had people throw the ball who are not quarterbacks. So he didn't need to have a second quarterback on the field to pull that off. I think that if you were going to do it, we may have seen it with Barkley. But given his propensity for having other players who are not quarterbacks, having non-quarterbacks throw the ball, I would be surprised if we saw this. Christopher also sent in something he wants us to talk about on Food for Thought on Friday night with Nate Geary. I'll see if I can get to it, Chris. Moving along, we have Peter. And Peter said, hey, Bruce, I remember reading this article last year, so I went and dug it up to read again. Obviously, A.J. Epinesa has transformed his body fairly dramatically since the 2020 NFL Combine, but I think the context of this article about contextualizing RAS, relative athletic score, for defensive line is pretty interesting to consider before we see the real thing. Take care, Pete. Now, I'm going to try my best to encapsulate this article as best as possible in a few sentences. So Kent Platt the creator of the relative athletic score at MathBomb on Twitter, wrote an article saying, is it risky to select AJ Epinesa in the 2020 NFL draft? And basically what he said was, hey, you know, AJ Epinesa didn't test very well athletically, but some of it is contextualized. For example, one of the things that was noted is that he only had 17 repetitions of the bench. And one of the things I've been pounding the table for for years, and any of you who have been following me since the original Nick and Nolan days will know that I think bench press reps are a terrible way of measuring bench. It should be total distance covered in upward motion. The total amount of inches you were able to push 225 pounds, which takes into account arm length. Use the arm length multiply it by the reps that right there that should be the measure on the combine bench press tell your friends there's going to be a movement there are dozens of us dozens anyway so the article points out that there is a significant correlation between people who test well and obtaining a high number of sacks over the course of your nfl career only one out of every five pass rushers who managed to get at least one 10-sack season in their career, had a relative athletic score below 5, while 6 in 10 had a score above 8. Only 17 of those players had a 40-yard dash of 5.0 or greater, and only 2 in the past decade. So, it's one of those scenarios where there were questions about A.J. Epinesa because of the way he tested. However, 
A.G. Epinesa is a tweener. Much like Gregory Rousseau, the question coming out was, are you going to have him bulk up and play five tech? Are you going to have him slim down and play on the edge? What are you going to do? The answer in both cases was they're an edge rusher. AJ Vanessa is six foot five and played in the two eighties. That's a big defensive end. So we were thinking maybe Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, that kind of thing. But they're 290 plus. So it's still kind of weird. So you start looking for comps, Robert Ayers, Pernell McPhee, Zadarius Smith. What kind of rusher could you expect this person to be? But then he goes through body recomposition. He drops a bunch of weight, got down to the 250s. I don't know if you've ever lost 30 pounds before. You feel like a different human if you lose 30 pounds. A.G. Epinesa literally had to get used to being in a different body. All of his pass rush moves work differently. Some things work better than they used to. Some things don't work as well as they used to. He's a completely new guy. If he participated in combine drills right now, his testing would probably be markedly different than it was before. So because of this, I don't say you throw it out because body recomposition isn't always a positive. Sometimes you'll see a running back going, hey, I put on a little bit of weight this offseason to better absorb hits. And we all go, I don't know. Then you have other running backs like Le'Veon Bell who dropped weight after he came in from Michigan State and completely revitalized his career along with Marshawn Lynch who did the same thing. Defensive linemen can do it too. So what Kent did in this article is he created a different data set for defensive linemen that were below 325 pounds, but above 275 pounds. He was trying to remove the massive nose tackles that would screw up everybody's score. In that range, A.J. Apinesa all of a sudden is an 8.66 in RAS score. So I think it's interesting that if you look at A.J. Apinesa in that tweener role, he looks a little bit better. Now, it doesn't really matter at this point because he's completely reconstituted his body But it's just interesting to look at these kind of things because the same narrative was the case with Gregory Rousseau coming out this year. I'm one of those people who was like, what are you going to do with Gregory Rousseau? Are you going to bulk him up and have him be Eric Armstead? What are you going to do with him? A lot of his wins were from the inside at Miami. On Twitter, pre-draft, I was like, what do you do with Gregory Rousseau? I don't know. I don't know what you do with him. I think you take him if you're a 3-4 team and you want to play a lot of 5-tech. And the Bills took him and I was like, I, I don't love the pick. I want to see what they're going to do with him. That's what I said. And I also said, I think the Bills have a type. This is the second year in a row they did it. They took a tweener, played him on the edge. Next time I see one of those tweeners where I don't know what they're going to do in a 4-3 defense, I am not going to rule the Bills out for that player. I'm going to say, nope, Beans done it twice already. Moving along, Kyle says, Hey, Bruce, just want to take the time to say thank you for all you do for the Buffalo Bills content community. I really enjoy your work. I've also enjoyed the new pod with Nate Geary and your musical episode earlier this summer was so awesome. First off, thank you, Kyle. This is a this is a really challenging offseason for me. I had a lot of other stuff going on. Uh, you remember I actually took a week off, which I very, very rarely do because I had a lot of stuff going on. You may have noticed that I've had a lot more guests 
in the last month or so. There's a reason for that. I needed help. It was that simple. I needed help. I've been extremely busy in my personal life. And because of that, I needed some help. So I appreciate the fact that you guys enjoy it. I enjoyed the musical episode too. It was so much fun. I'm talking with my wife now, trying to see what we're going to do next summer, try and do something crazy. We'll see. He says, not sure if you're still doing Almighty Takes this year or not, but I have one for the 2021 Bills season. The Bills will have a total of over 50 sacks this season and nine different players will have three or more. The depth that Brandon Bean has built on the line exceeds expectations after failing to meet them last year. I don't see any major regression from the offense coming, and the Bills should be playing with a lot of leads, allowing Frazier and Washington to send out waves and waves of pass rush packages. They showed last year they dial up pressure if they have to, they just struggled to finish. This year, they convert more and more of those pressures to sacks. Obviously, the more detailed the prediction, the harder it is to be correct. But I'll go out on a limb and say Groot, Hughes, Obata, Addison, Epinesa, Oliver, Edmonds, Butler, and Poyer are the nine that get home three or more times. I'm going to go somewhat improbable here. Not because I think the sack total is insane, because I think nine different players with three or more is going to be different. And the reason you historically get that is you get it from blitzing. You get it from blitzing Edmonds. You get it from blitzing Poyer, like you mentioned. And if you'll notice, the Bills did blitz more last year. But they didn't the year before. And they didn't the year before. They didn't dial up the blitz because of preference. They dialed up the blitz because of necessity. They weren't getting the wins they wanted. So they brought blitzes. So I think you actually see less blitzing this year if the front four is more effective. If the front four is more effective, that consolidates the sacks into a smaller number of people. So for me, I don't think the Bills are going to have nine players that have three or more sacks. I think there's more likelihood that they have five players who have five or more, and so on and so forth. Kyle says, P.S. I'm the guy who did the recap of you and Joe's Locked On Hot Takes episode from last year. I enjoyed going back and getting the mindset of Bills Mafia before the start of last season. As a fan base, I believe we got 45% mostly correct. I thought that was pretty good. I predicted last year the Bills would tie or break the franchise record for 30-point games. I got that one. Hopefully, I can be that lucky again this year. Hopefully, we can all be that lucky again. Last year was one of the times when being a particularly optimistic fan, even potentially unreasonably, ended up paying off for you. And that was one of the things that was great about last year. One of the things that was great about last year was all the people who were like, nope, this is the year. This is the year. They were right. All the people who were like, this is the guy. This is the guy. When it comes to Josh Allen, he's going to burst out this year. They were right this time. There's so many other times when that person would say that same thing and they were wrong. For 20 years, this is the guy. This is the coach. This is the year. And so many times they were disappointed. But this time they were right. Don't let them rub it in your face though. Don't let them say, I predicted Josh Allen would break out. Yeah, how many other predictions did you go back? Let's let's go back. Let's go back to whether you predicted Tyrod would break out. Let's go back to whether or not you predicted Kiko Lonzo would be a Hall of Famer. Let's go back to, you know, let's go back. This one time, the guy who's constantly like, this is our year, he was right. You know what? Let's just bask in it. Let's enjoy it. Let's not beat each other over the head with it. And I'm not just saying that because I was the guy who said nine and seven last year. (laughs) I'm just saying that let's just enjoy it. 
We are going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. Then we're going to buckle up because now we're caught up. Stick with me. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. So in addition to hearing that particular intro multiple times over the next 17 regular season games that the Buffalo Bills will play. I want to kind of take an opportunity to chat with my new listeners. Thousands of people listen to this pod every single week, and some of you have never been part of a regular season Bruce exclusive episode. I will tell you what you can expect from me because expectations minus reality equals disappointment. So expectation setting is a big part of what I do here. Number one, The main focus of every weekly episode of the Bruce Exclusive is the narrative that arose from the previous game on Sunday. Every game has its own storyline. Coming out of that game, there are narratives. There are threads. Reasons why you won. Reasons why you lost. And what we will talk about is the fact that how and why are far more important interrogatives than what. The fact that you won doesn't really mean much when it comes to predicting future wins. How you won, why you won, that can help you predict future wins. But wins do not necessarily, in and of themselves, predict future wins. So we're going to talk about the hows. We're going to talk about the whys. We're going to talk about the narratives. If the narrative coming out of that game is Cody Ford stank, I will go back and watch every single snap of Cody Ford and I'll come into this podcast and I'll say, okay, guys. The narrative was Cody Ford stank. Here's what I saw. That's what the narrative of the podcast is going to be like. It's going to be whatever the narrative of the game was like. Now, because there is no longer a Friday episode of the Bruce Exclusive, instead of Bruce Exclusive Thursday and Bruce Exclusive Friday, it is now Bruce Exclusive Thursday, Food for Thought with Nate Geary live on Friday night, and Food for Thought with Nate Geary drops as a podcast Saturday morning. Because of that, there will be no crumbling their cookies segment and no crumbling their cookies article. That was a section that I did the last two years where I talked about how to crumble their cookies, which was a specific strategy piece on here's what I think the Buffalo Bills should do this week. It required a lot of research. It required a lot of film work. I simply was not able to fit it into my schedule this year. In addition to the personal business we've talked about earlier, there are other things going on at Buffalo Rumblings in regards to the YouTube channel. 
and my job that I have now co-hosting this with Nate, and I simply can't do it. So that is not going to be part of the weekly repertoire. You can absolutely continue sending me emails with the takes to Almighty at yahoo.com. I will try to get to some of them on Bruce Exclusive, and I will try to get to some of them on Food for Thought with Nate Geary. So I am Bruce Almighty at yahoo.com. Continue to send me emails. So we are caught up. We are buckled up. It's time to put up or shut up. Let's go. Let's do this thing. And until next time, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. <laughs>